One of the reasons I like surfing is because I like that unknown. Every time I take off on a wave, I don't really know what's going to happen, right, Natalie? We, we kind of might think we know what's going to happen, but every wave is different. And so, you know what? Here's what I want to share with you today. Everybody say, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. All right, so, so, so you got that, Kathy? Go ahead. Help me out with that one. All right, so when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do, especially if it's a right thing, obviously. That's, that's what we're talking about here, and we'll, we'll back that all up with Scripture. So we don't know what to do, do what you know to do, because when you do what you know to do, God will fill in the rest. You know, if you don't ever get started, you're never going to finish, man. You don't get it going, man. It's never going to happen. If I see a wave, I mean, have you ever, like, just been out there and you're like, should I take that wave? Should I not? Should I take that wave? Should I not? And then you take that wave, and as soon as you drop in down on that wave, you know, you got an idea. There's a lot of times I think I'm going to go left, and I see it shutting down, and then I just carve back a nice bottom turn. At least I think it looks nice, you know, <laughs> yeah, until I see the pictures. And then I'll be on my longboard, and I'll just cross step up, and I'll have a right, and I'll see that wave pitching, and I'll go up to the nose. And I'll be right, this is my dream, right, Natalie? No, and I'll be riding it, and then I cross step back, and then it forms into a reform, and I cut back and go left, and now I've got a whole nother left, and man, I'm shredding that left, just like right. Now what we do, Natalie? And we're, we're just like pumping down the line, have more speed than Kelly Slater ever even dreamed to have. And, and, and then, man, just tear it up, and then you're like, yes! But the fact is, is when we started that way, we had no idea what was going to happen. And so, you know, obviously, if you've got a quandary about something that's right and wrong, that's not what I'm talking about. But when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. So in the simple realm of surfing, when I'm out there and I see this wave coming at me, I don't know how the waves can end up because those same waves before, man, I go to drop in and all of a sudden it jacks up and poo, it slams and it rolls you on the bottom and you're an underwater covered, coquina covered powder donut, you know, and, or you hit your head or something and you pop out. You don't know how it's going to work out. Man, up in St. Augustine when I was in college and surfing in New Smyrna, I can't tell you how many waves I would take off on not knowing what was going to happen and then dolphins are popping out in front of me. I don't see that so much here. But here, man, I'll take off on a nice glassy wave in the morning, and I'll be going, and I look, and like the other day, I saw a humongous redfish. I see big snook. Sometimes you see little four or five foot sharks, and they're running from you. They're like trying to get away from you. And sometimes you see bigger ones that turn and look at you and say, what are you doing here? You know, you don't ever know what's going to happen when you do this, when you go to take off on a wave. But I know that I'm out there to surf. I know that I'm never going to find out unless I do it. So when you don't know what to do, what do you do? Do what you know to do. Because when it's not until you do what you know to do that God gets to fill in the rest. And that's where we're at as we start in Mark 16, verses 1 through 8, actually, this morning. Now, let's just break, break all this down. We know that... Uh, Basically, Jesus has been on a cross. We've been through that for the last month. We've been going through it. We know Jesus died uh, by, by giving up the ghost himself. Nobody killed him. He said, it's finished. He finished what he came to do and said, all right, Father, take me home into your spirit. I, uh, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And boom, he was dead. 
We know this guy, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a, uh, a Pharisee. Um, he was a religious leader, probably that Sanhedrin on it. He came and gave him a grave, asked for the body, and got the body. We know that he was buried in a brand new tomb. And he was there, and he was there Friday night, okay? Uh, they, and then Passover started Friday evening at sundown. We know that he was there all day Saturday, um, and then and then on Saturday night Passover ended. So the anybody wanting to do anything with him, wanting to honor him, wanting to freshen things up a bit, wanted to you know pay last respects, they couldn't do it during Passover. So what had to happen? They had to really wait till sundown Saturday, but that wasn't a safe time to go. So they came out on Sunday morning. Hence Jesus was in the grave three days part of Friday, all day Saturday, and part of Sunday. And so this is where we pick it up. There's, and, and at this point, the disciples, they don't believe a word about resurrection. They still didn't get it. The, the ladies that followed him, they didn't know anything about resurrection. Even though Jesus had preached, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise, be risen again. They didn't get that. After Jesus said the words, I'm going to die, it was all blah, blah, blah. It was Charlie Brown's teacher. They couldn't hear her after that. And every time he tried to explain to them, I'm going to rise from the dead, they missed it. And this is proof in this, in this passage of Scripture. None of them were anticipating finding a living Savior. Every single one of them were basically saying, what are we going to do? We don't know what to do. But when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. do, what you know to do. That's what we find. So in verse 16, it starts out, it says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, that was Saturday night, at sunset, the next morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they may come to anoint him. Now, I'm just going to tell you, you don't bring spices to anoint a living body, okay? You may think some people smell dead, and if I do, you got to like be honest with me, help me out, give me some new deodorant or something, but... Dude, what these spices were for was basically they had already, uh, uh, the, the Israelites, they didn't um, embalm bodies like the Egyptians did. What they would do is they would wrap spices and wrap them in sheets and everything to kind of offset the smell of a decaying body. You guys ever smell roadkill? Man, you ever know when something's just dead around you? Man, and that's what it was. In fact, the normal procedure of what they would do is they would put these bodies in a tomb and they would seal the tomb up, and they would let the body stay there for months until all the flesh kind of rotted off. And once they had it down where the flesh was rotted off, then they would kind of open the tomb, and then they would gather the bones, and they would put the bones in some kind of like a container, much the way we would put ashes in an urn. And then they would keep those bones in their family you know, and that. that's why people had non-used tombs, or they had used tombs also. Can you imagine being a used tomb salesman? <laughs> like, I got a tomb right here, only three people, and there's no skin in there at all. I'm just saying. I mean, but seriously, that's what they, they would, so they would eventually take all the bones, and people would keep those in their home. But this was, so basically all they were doing is these ladies were coming early in the morning. In fact, Mary Magdalene, according to the book of John, she came first. She, she couldn't wait. She, they're all coming, but she got out ahead of everybody. And she's not even uh, in this story other than that she was part of this. Because when she found that the tomb was empty, she assumed right off the bat somebody stole the body. And she ran back to tell everybody 
that erroneous lie. You know people like that? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> they make an assumption and then tell everybody that assumption. Everybody believes it. That's what, she, that's what she went to do. But fortunately, Jesus met her on the way, which we'll see in the next few weeks. But it says now they came to, uh, uh, that they might come to anoint him. So it's like round two of perfume here. They're going to kind of, it's not a pleasant thing, guys. I mean, they're unwrapping somebody who's dead, and they're going to put more spices on him and wrap him back up. And this is just their last opportunity to pay respects. It's the right thing to do. That's the only reason they're doing it. It's because it's the right thing to do. And when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. So they had no idea any of the rest of the story was going to happen. They thought they're going to show up early in the morning, get it over with before it starts getting hot, right? And wrap this body back up, put him in, and figure out what we're going to do with life. Because look what everybody did. What did the disciples give up? Matthew gave up a lucrative tax collecting job. He was the richest out of all of them. And he gave, up, he gave up a lucrative career, even though everybody hated him. And he followed Jesus more for Jesus' love than that was stronger than any love he had for money. You know, so Matthew gave that up. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they gave up lucrative fishing businesses. And back then, in Jesus' day, 75% of the people were slaves. These guys were rich businessmen. Their parents had, we know that they moved to Capernaum because their business had been increasing. And so now they're in a place where, dude, they're making some bucks. And Jesus said, follow me. And they left it all and followed him because they believed he's the Messiah. They believed that he was going to usher in the kingdom right then and there. They missed the whole part because of the erroneous teaching of the day that there was going to have to be a suffering servant, a suffering savior, and that he would pay for the sins of the world, and he'd become king of their heart before he'd become king of their, their, their society, their king of their environment there. And so, so they gave up all kinds of stuff. These ladies, I mean, can you imagine how ostracized people were by selling out to Jesus? Can you imagine right now if all, I mean, how many of you have sold out to Christ? You sold out with everything you got. You've told people, you have, people know you're a Christian, and you stood up against some stuff. And could you imagine how it would feel right now if all of a sudden it seemed like Christ was alive? Can you imagine? That's where they're at. Because they can't comprehend anything else. And by the way, I'm going to tell you on Authority Bible, Christ is not alive. We're on the winning team in forever. And, but all of a sudden, man, he's dead. They watched him get beaten. They watched him not fight back. They watched him be crucified. They watched him take the body down. They watched Joseph Arimathea wrap the body up. They watched him put spices. They watched him put, you know, he's in the tomb. He's dead. It's over. Everything of their hopes, dreams, desires of being in the kingdom of God and being free from Roman oppression and God's millennial kingdom being ushered in, you know, all here. It's over. It's done. It's not going to happen. And they're starting to face reality. And that's the time that many of us decide to do nothing, isn't it? When a dream dies, when hopes die, when things all of a sudden that you thought were a sure, a sure thing, all of a sudden they're gone, and, and we just like, it's over. I'm done. And, and that's when we take on depression. That's when we get discouraged. That's when we try another path sometimes instead of waiting to see what God wants. But I'm telling you, when you don't know what to do, what? Do what you know to do. Don't ever do the wrong thing. Don't ever give up on doing the right thing. It's going to work no matter how dismal it looks. Their world had caved in on them. 
Where were the disciples in all of this? You know what they were doing? They were back sulking, thinking, dang, I wonder if dad's going to hire me back in the fishing business. Man, oh, I know I can't be a tax collector. So all those people hate me. All these people hate me. Maybe I'll just go like Judas and borrow that rope and I'll just hang myself. I mean, seriously, they're all trying to figure out their next move. But these ladies had the key to it all. When you don't know what to do, do the right thing that you know to do. And so they took it and they said, well, we're going to honor Jesus. We're going to go and we're going to honor him. And so they brought these spices, but no way were they expecting to find what they found. Verse 2, it was very, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, which what is the first day of the week? We call it Sunday, but they didn't actually have names for the, for the days of the week. Did you know that? They actually had numbers for the days of the week. So it's all there. So this is the first day, which is Sunday, okay? That's what we call it, all right? And I'm not even going to go into why that is, but they had numbers for the, for the days of the week. So they came and to the tomb when the sun had risen. Now Mary Magdalene had already gone and found it ahead of them, and she split to go tell everybody what was going on. But these ladies got there just as the sun was rising. You know, it had been up. And they said among themselves, here's another indication that they were not expecting anybody to find anybody alive. They're like, who's going to roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? You know, they didn't even have that much figured out. Have you ever had God lead you in something and you ain't got it all figured out? <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> you know, isn't that what our life of faith is about? That we have to stay so close to God that we believe we know his next step. He says, take this step and we do it. Step here and we do it. Step here and we do it. And if you moment by moment, step by step are following, you will end up at the destination you're supposed to be in. And so here they're walking. And it wasn't like these were just, you know, oh, we don't know. You know, it was like, how are we even going to get this stone rolled away? So they didn't know. They didn't know that the tomb had been sealed. They didn't know there were Roman guards on guard with all of this. And, you know, otherwise they'd say, hey, maybe we can sweet talk this guy and get him to roll the stone open. They really didn't know any of that was happening. They had been sulking. They had been, you know, grieving because the one they loved, the one they were trusting their whole future with, their eternity to, seems to have just let them down. But they kept going because when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And they just kept going in all of this. And they didn't know that there was a localized earthquake. Do you remember reading that? When Jesus rose from the dead, you remember when he died, there was an earthquake, but also when he rose from the dead, there was an earthquake big enough to roll the stone away or basically to knock out the guards. They were done. So think about this. By the time they get there, the guards are gone, earthquakes are, there were so many things they didn't know. But when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And as they're going, they said, who's going to roll away the stone uh, from the door of the tomb for us? Who's going to do that? Next verse, Ethan. But when they look up, okay, here they go. They're just thinking, you know, here you are, you're walking. And you're like, God, how are we going to get this stone undone? Man, what are we going to do after tomorrow? What are we going to do? How are we going to, man, face people? Everybody thinks, you know, we're crazy. Maybe we made a mistake, but we know we didn't. Man, you just don't know. And all of a sudden, they get to the tomb, and the stone, it's like they looked up, and they saw the stone had been rolled away. And dude, this is a big stone. It says so in scripture. It was very large. And so here they are. They're like, you know, you know that look you make? Somebody make that look back to me like, ah. you know, you come home, Natalie, and your door's open. Oh, you go out to your car right out there and you see all your doors as soon as you walk downstairs. Oh, the church was awesome. And then you're like, oh. you know the look. Your car's open and you're like, 
huh, you know, you know that look. That, that's what they got there, and they're like, what's going on here? Entering the tomb. Okay, if that wasn't enough, all right? Think about entering your house this afternoon after you have lunch and you come home and the door's open. Some of you are going to call the cops, right? But, man, come on, be adventurous here. Call <laughs> All right, Aaron will go with you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they look, and so now they look in there, and all of a sudden, are they expecting to see anybody, anything? Do they even know what to expect? Not a thing, okay? And they enter the tomb, and all of a sudden it says, they saw a young man clothed in long white robes sitting on the right side. Oh, and look at this. They were alarmed. <laughs> Isn't that how we read this? And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. No, dude, listen to what this says. They're creeping. They're like, oh. I mean, a spider could have fell out, and they'd been like, oh. You know, you've been there. They're like, Oh my goodness, and all of a sudden, this was no young man. I want you to understand, this was an angel. What does everyone say when they see an angel? <laughs> yeah, not like, <laughs> yeah, come on, put something into that now. I know you're being calm there. Yeah, every time somebody sees an angel, they go, ah! and they fall because of the glory of God, because they see something supernatural there's no explanation for. So here they are. I like how it just says they were alarmed. That's one alarm clock, don't you think? How many of you ever been sound asleep and alarm goes off? Like, oh, you can't find the button, you can't find it. I mean, put that on steroids. It's like the nuclear power plant warning system going off in your bedroom. That's the kind of alarm they were. They're walking in going, oh, something's up. <gasps> they see this young man, this angel with a long white robe sitting on the right side and you know, you could just imagine all the things that happened in their body and in their mind and all the things that happened right there. I mean, talk about like just heart murmurs there. Go ahead, next verse, please. It says, but look what he says. <laughs> isn't this what angels always say? I mean, isn't it a little late? Wouldn't you think it'd be better for the angel before you get there and say, <clears throat> hey, hey, chill a little bit, man. There's an angel in here. <laughs> Hey, don't, wait, don't be alarmed. All right, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm wearing and, and just shield your eyes a little bit, but angels don't do it. Dude, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find out how much fun angels had being angels, right? <laughs> Freaking people out, because that's what they did all the time. And so he goes to them, oh, don't be alarmed. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's too late <laughs> on that, because they are more alarmed than anybody had ever been alarmed. What were they? They were, they were just coming in the morning all sad, thinking about themselves, depressed in their own funk, having a pity party, and no one else was invited. You've been there, right? You've had pity parties, anybody? Yeah, woe is me, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms, you know? And, and there they are, man, and, 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 and all of a sudden, they're like, oh, something's up. They walk in, ah! And there he is, he says, don't be scared. And um, look what he says, though. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. And they're like, uh, duh. <laughs> yeah, that's why I got these spices here. You know, that's the only reason I'd be going to a tomb early in the morning is because, yes, I'm seeking Jesus. He was crucified. But look at this. These next three words are the most awesome words in the Bible. They are the most awesome words to any Christian for so many reasons. He says, he's, uh, it says, who was crucified. Everybody read these next three words with me, please. 
He is risen. All right, did you see the exclamation point at the end of that? Okay, y'all were like, he is risen. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that was my Ernest T. Bass voice. Does anybody here know who Ernest T. Bass is? Anybody know Ernest? Oh, yes. All right. Andy Griffin fan, Griffith fans. There you go. But, all right. So, one more time, dude. Read it with exclamation. One, two, three. Risen! Yes! Do you understand what that means for us? We serve a living God. It means that when I am buried and I am put in a grave or I am cremated or I'm pulverized by a shark, Whatever happens to me, I don't care because I'm gone. And it means that I don't, as a dead body, have to find the power and strength and ability to become alive again. It means the one I trusted was able to make himself alive after he's dead. And by the way, in Scripture, it talks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all being a part of Jesus being risen from the dead. If I'm counting on somebody to take me and make me alive again once I'm dead, I'm counting on someone who's done it before. And that's him. He's risen. And like Kathy read last week out of, I think it was out of Romans 15, about the resurrection. Man, if he's not risen, everything we talk about, everything we believe, everything we are about as Christians is junk. It doesn't work. It's kind of like having all these electronic things that we have, but not having power. <laughs> we got the, oh, dude, we got a big old TV now and projected electric guitars, but oh, we don't have any power. Do you understand the resurrection is the power in our life? That's the power. That's the only power we got. That resurrection power. How do you overcome sin on a daily basis? Is it you are? Here it is. I'm going to make it through. Because the Bible said, and I'm carrying these promises, and I'm going to make it work. That's how we try to do it. But you understand when you start understanding his grace and his power, the way you overcome sin is by the resurrection power. It's a living God. And where is he living right now? Oh, he's in a building, a church. Oh, we're in trouble because I don't think he came to Windmill Village. <laughs> Where's he living at? Point where he's living at. He's living in you and me. In his Holy Spirit. He's living in us. And, and he can be in every one of us simultaneously and be speaking to us simultaneously. It's not like one guy. Can you imagine if this was Jesus in an office in Jerusalem? How many times would you get to see him in a lifetime? How many appointments would you get? How long would you get to stay? How much would it cost? But God in his wisdom, man, took the living God and put him inside of us. What an awesome thing that is. Man, when we walk around scared, God's like, dude, you know I'm here. <laughs> no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted above the table, but with the temptation will make a way to escape. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, saying that in spite of, of what Flip Wilson and Geraldine said, the devil cannot make you do anything. The devil can't make you do anything. You have power inside you to overcome the enemy. He's already been overcome. He's in a, he's in a cage below deck. When you made Jesus the captain of your ship, he got thrown down in the, in, in the bottom of the ship in a cage. And he's barking out orders, but you don't have to listen to him because you got a new captain, Jesus, and he's alive. He didn't just send us a Bible and say, oh, here's a bunch of rules. And if you follow these, you'll go to heaven. He's like, no, I'm making this alive to you. You want to know what it means? Ask me. As you're reading it, ask me. He said, as you want to apply it, ask me. 
I'll give you everything you need to put this into practice, and you don't have to listen to that guy. By the way, one day when you leave this body, he's gone. One day he's going to be chained. One day he's going to be put away. But right now, I'm going to give you the opportunity to love me by not listening to him and listening to me, which is by the way, only way you can show your love for God is by choosing him. So in this, look what he said, man. He said, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus and Nazareth is crucified. He is risen. And that has implications for every one of us every single day. And if you have not experienced that resurrection power and you're a believer, you've not experienced it on a daily basis, man, you need to get in the word. You need to stop being so sad. You need to stop staying on shore and saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm not going to go on that mission trip. I don't know what's happened, so I'm not going to talk to that person. I don't know what's happened, so I'm not going to use my gifts. I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm not, I'm not going to help people see life from God's perspective. Because what if I'm wrong? And you're listening to that captain down below is what you're doing. Man, you need to experience. If you're born again, you've got power in there. Dynamite. Dudamus, you've got dynamite in there, man. Light the fuse and let it go. God will not let you down, I promise. And so in this, he says he's risen. He's not here. And he said, and, and he's trying to prove it to him. He said, look, man, see the place where he's laid? And, and according to uh, Matthew and Luke and John, do you guys remember what was laying there? I mean, John, uh, Mark gives us a very brief detail in all of this. But do you remember what was laying there? Uh, yeah, is it like what your wife finds when you get changed? <laughs> How many of you got? How many wives know your husband does not know where the hamper is? Or okay, all right. I right. just thought I would kind of help you out there a little bit. Yeah, I've, I've got, I've got a pile on the side of my bed that I might wear again, you know. But, but other than that, once it's gone, I put it in the hamper. Unless it's really smelling, then I hang it out back, you know. So yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try to be a little easier on you. But where was I even going with that? No. <laughs> what? Oh, he's risen. Yes. No, that wasn't it. He's not. Oh, Jesus is closed, man. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what? what tell me, Laura. Say what was it like? Yeah. It would be like us right now if God just sucked our bodies right out and your clothes were just perfectly laying there. And the head, the, the face piece that wrapped his head was, was there. And so it was just, it was, it was like his body was just taken out. It wasn't like Jesus, like, ripped out of his clothes and changed into a Superman cape. It was like, dude, God just pulled him out. He said, look, see this? And there was no denying that something supernatural happened. And by the way, let me ask you a question. Why was the tomb open? Why was the stone rolled away? Was it rolled away so that Jesus could get out? No, dude, he could walk through walls, man. And isn't that cool? Robert, we're going to walk through walls one day, brother. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to eat fish and not get fat. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's like, we, we're going to have glorified bodies one day. We can walk through stuff. The tomb wasn't rolled, oh, the stone wasn't rolled open so Jesus could get out, but it was so what? So they would see it. Yeah, man, so they could see it. And you know what? God lets people see supernatural things so they can be witnesses. And they can share with others what they saw. That's all we're called to be. Not lawyers to argue a case for God's behalf. We're called to be witnesses and just share with others what he's doing for us. That's why you need that resurrection power in your life. To be able to share with people what God has done today. So in this it says, see the place where we laid him? 
He says, now, here's the command that he gave them. So when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Everybody help me with that. When you don't know what to do. So all these ladies knew was, okay, we got to go anoint the body. We're going to go pay respects to Jesus. And, dude, they thought that's all that was going down. We're going to, like, roll his body up. And, man, we'll figure it all out later. We need to grieve because we love him so much. And, but when you do what you know to do, then God can now unfold the rest. But if they would have sat there like the did the disciples get to be a part of this? No. Not this. They were back there crying. They were back there like all depressed, all discouraged, thinking about what their next career move was. They missed it. They could have been there, but they weren't. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do, because when you do what you know to do, God can then unfold the rest. You never take off on that wave. You don't know if it's a right, left, close out. You don't know if you're going to see a shark, a dolphin, a turtle. You don't know if it's going to be the ride of your life. You don't know what it's going to be until you take off on it, until you drop in. And man, I don't know what God's calling you to drop in on today. But man, if you know, don't know what to do, just do what you know to do, the right thing you know to do. And so now they've done this. And guess what? Now God's unfolding the rest because now they've got an assignment. He says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you in Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So here's what they were told to do. Go tell and wait. <laughs> and you know what? That's kind of going to be our pattern. You go, you tell, and then you wait for God to do something. You go, you tell, you wait in faith for God to do something. You go, you tell, and wait. Go, tell, wait. That's what we do. And watch God work. How many of you have ever gone? Put your hand. Come on, man. How many of you have ever gone? You did it. You stepped out. And how many of you actually let something come out of your mouth? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then how many of you have waited? And you wa how many of you have ever seen God show up? Yeah, buddy. Yeah. But how many of you are still waiting? Yeah. It's God's work, not yours. All you are is a witness. All you do is you go and tell what you have seen and what you've experienced and what God said, and you wait and let God do his work. That's, you can't do what only God can do. You try to do it, you're going to be a failure. Or you're going to be like many in the modern church, and you're going to do something and then call that God's work because that's all you can muster up in the, in the, in the flesh. You're going to redefine what success is. But you guys know what it's like when you see something supernatural, when God does something. You ever had talking coming out of your mouth, and it's God? And people are actually listening, and it's like, and they make a life change? Yes, that's God. So... He says, go and tell his disciples, those wimps that are back there sulking, that are crying and didn't have the guts to come themselves. Go tell those guys. Okay? And, and look at this next part. What's the next part? Go and tell his disciples. And Peter. Peter. And Peter. Wow. What awesome. You know what? Why God did this? Now, this is Peter's account of this. He's the one who, who basically told Mark what to write in the Gospel of Mark. He said, go tell his disciples and Peter. Because what's the last we hear of Peter? First, yeah, first, yeah, first of all, man, we see him, we see him, I'm never gonna leave you. And they come up and he whips out a sword. Shoo, he's trying for the head, but he only got an ear. <laughs> and Jesus puts the ear back on, and then Peter, don't do that, man. <laughs> Peter heard a lot that a lot. Don't do that, Peter. Have you all hear that a lot? Don't do that. <laughs> I hear that a lot in my life. Don't do that. Oh, please don't do that. And 
And then Peter, who's not going to deny him, denied him. And the last time he denied him, he was watching Christ, fully beaten and unrecognizable, walking by. As he denied him, he looked and him and Jesus made eye contact. And Peter surely thought he had blown everything in his relationship with Christ. Have you ever done something and you feel like you've blown it? You feel like God can't love you? You feel like God can't forgive you? You feel like God's done with you? You've messed it up? You know, you haven't. You haven't. You can always repent, and God can use that. I'm not saying you don't mess up your testimony. You just may not have a prison ministry. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> just saying. No, I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> but no, I don't know where it's going to go. I'm not saying. But, but you know what I'm saying? You're not done until you're done. When is it too late to repent? When you are dead. dead. The devil would love nothing more than to take a child of God who is saved for how long? Forever. And get that child of God discouraged to the point where they would never get back up again. You know, David, he was a man after God's own what? Help me out. His heart. And sometimes somebody asked in life group a couple, I don't know, a month ago or so, God, David was such a scoundrel. David, man, he murdered. He was adultery. He did all these things. How could he be a man after God's own heart? And what's the answer? Because every time he got down, he reached up and he let God lift him up. You guys remember the old Tarzan movies, right? When the guy was falling in quicksand. They had quicksand everywhere in Tarzan movies, the old ones. And they're going down. And you got a choice. You can go down, go down singing, laughing, whatever. Or you can reach up. Because if you reach up, you're going to hear, oh, 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 oh. And you're going to see Tarzan reach down and grab you and swing you back up into the tree, right? That's what's going to happen every time you cry out to God. He's not going to say, ha, you know what, we're done. <laughs> Um, if he does, he's taking you right home right then. I've watched him do that, but honestly, he's going to just reach by. But you've got to reach up and say, I'm sorry, I want to live for you. And reach out and grab his hand as it goes by. He'll lift you out of whatever. And boy, Peter, when Peter heard that, the girls were like, oh my goodness, he's risen, he's risen. And Peter's thinking, oh, I blew it. I'm not going to be a part of it. He said, I was going to be the rock. My statement was going to be the thing everybody built the church on all this, my statement, all this, and now I've blown it. And she said, and Peter. He's like, what? <laughs> and Susie, <laughs> and Milton, and now, yeah, when he adds our name. <laughs> dude, don't ever let the devil deceive you and knock you down where you can't get back up again. That's what he'd love to do. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. God doesn't love you conditionally. When it means he loves you unconditionally, he loves you perfectly. He cannot love you more, and he cannot love you less. Now, I'm not talking about the people around you, but God cannot love you more and love you less. You no more have a better hearing from him or a worse hearing based on your behavior in that because when God looks down, he looks down and he sees the blood of Jesus, and you are acceptable to him. But he's looking for repentance. He's looking for you to get things straight because you're his creation. And you're not being used the way you were created or for what you've been created. He's like, mm, he's going to keep putting pressure on you until you get to that point. So in this, he said, and go tell his disciples. Go tell and wait and tell Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. They were supposed to go to Galilee and they were supposed to wait. And as we're going to see, they still didn't quite get it because they didn't go right to Galilee. 
They really did. He told them this back before he died. I'm going to see you again in Galilee, but they didn't hear that. They're sure he's going to die. And so we're going to see in the next few weeks. They didn't go to Galilee. They still didn't quite get it but they, until he started appearing to him, He had to appear to him in Jerusalem. Do you know that Jesus made just hundreds of post-resurrection appearances on this earth before he ascended? He, it isn't hearsay. He did. We're going to read about it. We're going to see it. And it says, there you will see him, as he said to you. I think we have one more verse. So they went out quickly. They fled from the tomb, for they trembled. This has been a pretty traumatic experience, okay? They trembled. And they were amazed. That word amazed is everything from scared to not knowing what to think. Have you ever had a God encounter and you're just, your head's spinning? You're just like, I don't know what to do next. But you do now. Because when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Because when you do what you know to do, God's going to unfold the rest. But if you don't do what you know to do and you're sitting back like the apostles, he's going to have to just send more and more people back to tell you. And you still got to get up. And you still got to do what you know to do. But man, how many of you have ever stepped out and did something that God said to do? And it's unfolded for you. That's the way he works. So I don't know where he's speaking to you. I don't know how he's speaking to you right now. But if there's something, you don't know what to do. Do what you know to do. Get the ball rolling and let God direct it. And look what it says. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That didn't mean they didn't go tell the apostles. They were just so blown away, and they were one-tracked on doing what God told them to do, which they didn't know was what they were supposed to do when they first left that morning. But if they wouldn't have left and done what they knew to do, this would have never unfolded. So I don't know where God's going to speak to you on that. Not real sure, but I know where he's spoken to me. But let's pray that he speaks.